All right, so uh, I think we're going to go ahead and get started. That's crazy. Uh, I'm Brian Rosenthal. I'm a government reporter in the Austin Bureau of the Houston Chronicle. Uh, and you are at Voting Rights and Voting Wrongs. Uh, hopefully you mean to be here. Um, I understand we are the last thing separating you from the bar. So um, we will uh, try and keep this uh, lively. Uh, Thankfully, voter ID is a, uh, is a lively topic. Um, this panel will last an hour with uh, 40 to 45 minutes uh, of us talking up here and then 15 or 20 minutes of questions. Uh, there will be mics. When we get to that point, you can raise your hand and a mic will appear for you to ask your question. Um, uh, for now, uh, I will ask that you put your phone on silent and I've been asked to tell you that if you plan to tweet, uh, use the hashtag TTF for Texas Tribune Festival. Um, we have a great panel here today with us. Starting uh, on my left uh, is State Representative Celia Israel, a Democrat from Austin, has represented uh, has represented House District 50 since 2015. Uh, Representative Israel serves on the Elections Committee, uh, which is relevant, as well as the Transportation and Long-Term Infrastructure Planning Subcommittee. Uh, she introduced last session the online voter registration bill, which got a lot of attention and I'm sure we will be talking about uh, here. Uh, to her left is uh, a non-Texan, someone joining us from, from California, uh, Professor Rick uh, Hassan from uh, the University of California, Irvine. He is a nationally recognized expert in election law and campaign finance regulation, named one of the 100 most influential lawyers in the United States by National Law Journal in 2013. He runs the uh, election law blog uh, and my son. is the, uh, they were just outside the top 100, right? You two <laughs> down there? Yeah. We're, just, we're just saying that right now. Yeah, <laughs> Well, that much. Yeah. Um, <laughs> runs the election law blog and is the chancellor's uh, professor of law and political science uh, at the law school at UC Irvine. Uh, to his left is Representative Poncho Neboas. Well, he didn't get no applause. Yeah, here we go, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. We have Representative Poncho Neboas, a Democrat from Eagle Pass. He has represented House District 74 since 2013 serves as the Vice Chair of the House Homeland Security and Public Safety Committee, uh, also on the Local and Consent Calendars and Natural Resources Committees. Uh, he has been very outspoken on issues of voting rights, uh, as he is on many issues, uh, and is a lawyer as well. Uh, and to his, oh, sorry, yeah. <laughs> uh, and to his left, we have Representative Todd Hunter, a uh, Republican from Corpus Christi, uh, he has represented the House District 32 since 2009, previously served in the House uh, from 1989 to 1997. Uh, he is the chair of the uh, Calendars Committee, uh, which uh, is an important committee that uh, decides legislation, uh, what, what's what legislation will come to the floor. Um, so he has a hand in everything, but also the vice chair of the Urban Affairs Committee uh, and on the Criminal Jurisprudence Redistricting and General Investigating and Ethics Committee, uh, previously chaired a select committee on elections, uh, and is also a lawyer. So we have three lawyers with us. Uh, to three lawyers. So I, I want to start with the, uh, the topic that has been in the news a lot lately, uh, which is voter ID. And uh, if you missed it on Friday, our Attorney General, uh, Ken Paxton, uh, asked the U.S. Supreme Court to consider reinstating that law, which was uh, thrown out earlier this year uh, by uh, a, uh, uh, um, I guess, a panel of judges who found that it had a discriminatory effect on, uh, on minorities in the state of Texas. Um, does anybody think that, that, that the Supreme Court is actually uh, going to reinstate that law? Well, hopefully. <laughs> okay. Well, I would say that you tell me who's on the Supreme Court when yeah. they have to decide That's on the true. case, and I can tell you if they're likely to hear it. Right now, with Justice Scalia's death, 
The court is divided between four liberal justices, all appointed by Democratic presidents, and four conservative justices, all appointed by Republican presidents. And on the issue of voter ID, like on many other hot button issues, they tend to divide along ideological and party lines. And so if Hillary Clinton is president, and you get someone like Merrick Garland or a, a, another person who leans to the left, I think they don't touch this case. If you get Donald Trump and he names someone from his list of 21 uh, that he's put out, much more likely they would consider the case and potentially reinstate the whole law. But, but, but if not, the case has many more steps to go. And it's possible the Supreme Court doesn't get involved now, but gets involved in two or three years after the district court gets to decide whether Texas also acted with racially discriminatory intent. And then that gets considered again by a Fifth Circuit panel. And then likely that gets considered again by the entire Fifth Circuit sitting on bunk. So, so we will it's be a long here road. talking about this next year again. Is that, is that what you're saying? And maybe nothing will have changed. <laughs> so um, even if it does, uh, if the Supreme Court does uh, not touch it and allows uh, that law to not be reinstated, uh, the Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick has said that he wants to uh, talk about voter ID uh, again next session and come up with a new law. Uh, Chairman Hunter, I wanted to ask you, what, what is your hope? I mean, obviously, I guess you hope that the Supreme Court uh, will reinstate this law. If they don't, what is your hope that the legislature will do uh, uh, next session on this issue? Well, just to add to the professor, we also, the procedural thing he's talking about is with a 4-4 court, four votes is no. And uh, so we're in a situation where procedurally you have to have a swing vote there, or generally you're going to probably be 4-4. That's been the pattern. Uh, the uh, the way the legislature, just so a lot of you know, I have been there eight years, like you said, 1989 to 97, when I served under the elections chair, Deborah Danberg in here. And then I left for 11 years, raised my kids, came back in 2009. And so I have seen it from all perspectives. Will the issue be brought back? I'm assuming so. But you got to remember, it's 140 days. We're not U.S. Congress, everybody. We're there 140 days. And if you put the timelines in there, as the House members here know, it's only about 70 to 80 days. And so these type of issues with legal and lawsuits and legislative, uh, it's hard to tell what type of track system it will go. But it'll be... I'm sure the issue will be raised. How it proceeds, we'll wait to begin January 10th at noon. <laughs> you set your watch by it. <laughs> you know, the, one of the interesting points about the professor's comment regarding the makeup of the court is, remember the court that has given us the guidance that Ken Paxton is appealing is a very conservative court, meaning the Fifth Circuit to begin with. So we, we meaning the state of Texas, got an opinion regarding this issue from arguably one of the most conservative courts or appellate courts in the country. So if that's any guidance, and I, I don't disagree with the professor regarding what the Supreme Court or what they tend to do in these types of cases falling on that fault line, which is liberal, conservative, but I, I think we were a little surprised by the Fifth Circuit's ruling and when it came down, so I don't know. And again, that's never any guidance as to what the Supremes will do, but it's just something to keep in mind, a little food for thought for those of the for those of us who keep score regarding what courts do and don't do. Brian, I'll add, as the non-lawyer non on the panel, it's also my understanding that, that Fifth Circuit is also a very conservative. Yeah, yeah. So that's a, that's an, that's a, that's a very interesting indicator. I, I would just point out, just to make things clear, the law still stands. Right? The court didn't strike the entire law, which is what uh, the plaintiffs and the Justice Department asked. The court said the law still stands, but you need to create an exemption for people who can show they have a specific difficulty getting one of the narrow forms of identifications. Right? So as you know, concealed weapons permit, perfectly fine. Student ID, not OK. Right? So they, they, they made some choices. And uh, what the court, the conservative court, said was, as narrowly as possible, create some kind of exemption. And it went back to the district court. And so for this election, there is an exemption in place. But it, it's still, it's not clear that the law is going to be completely struck down. That would only happen if the court finds that the law was enacted with a racially discriminatory intent. 
and that's yet to be determined. That won't happen until next year. So, and, and I want to talk about the interim remedy for this, uh, this year, but, but just talking about the larger issue, again, this, this law, to be clear, requires that if you're going to vote, you have an identification that proves uh, who you are. Uh, we show ID cards for lots of things in this country. What is so problematic about that, uh, Representative Israel? What's so problematic about? About having a law that says you have to show uh, a vote, uh, an ID card to, to vote. Well, what's, what's problematic is that we have um, an array of, of people, whether they're um, um, senior citizens who have an ID that's you know, 10 years old, or they, they don't have their driver's license anymore, um, or you have um, a forgetful candidate like me who almost didn't get to vote for myself because I misplaced my photo ID. You shouldn't be putting barriers in the way of, of, of voting, and that's, and that's clearly where I think we're, we're headed. Brian, why don't we go at it the other way and look at it like this is, what's problematic about not having to show your ID? And the answer to that is nothing. In other words, we've done, we've, we've done nothing to prosecute in-person uh, in voting fraud in this state for years and years. In other words, you have more of a chance of being struck by lightning than having somebody actually go to the polls and commit fraud because of an ID or lack thereof. And so rather than say what's problematic about having to show it, I look at it the other way is, you know, one of the things that we do as a legislature is solve problems, right? You know, we, we enact laws to solve problems or, or attempt to. And so in this case, if we're actually looking at a problem to solve, we don't have one. We, we didn't have one. And I, I challenge anybody in the audience to show me, or anywhere, you know, beyond the audience, to show me where we've prosecuted. You know the kinds of uh, voter fraud that we've prosecuted is mail ballot stuff, which is easy to, to create a fraudulent situation. But that has nothing to do with in-person vo voting. In person voting. So I, you know, I, I look at my job as a legislature, one, uh, legislator, one is to try to stay out of the way when I need to, because I think a lot of times we need to stay out of the way. but. Uh, and solve problems when we, when, we, when we have to. But in this case, I think it's something that we didn't need to get in the way of, and we did. Chairman Hunter, what do you... Well, I thought the issue got resolved when I checked in to get my lanyard. They asked for my photo ID. So I thought the Trib Fest had adopted the thing <laughs> this afternoon. They didn't you, know who you were. Well, you know, there I did. I had a photo ID. They, you know, the, the debate is a little different. You know, for example, I don't see a big deal about showing um, my driver. Well, I guess I do because I look a lot different my driver's <laughs> license than I'd like to. But you go to the bank, you got to show something. You got to get on an airplane, you got to show something. Cash a check, you got. So we kind of have different reasonings. To me, it's not that big of a deal to show who you are. And if we do need to get some IDs, let's find out. But you've got a system. Go try to get on the plane and tell me that you're not showing a photo ID. So we have a system out here that has different elements. But I respect the different views. We just have different views. And, and I, I think, and I'm, I'm sorry, but I think, and I agree with Chairman Hunter on that, but I think when you can live and see a particular example, and I'll give you one, is my grandmother's 92 years old. And she reads Proust, and she reads Socrates, and she's as lucid as anyone can get out, but she's an amputee. She can't get to, you know, getting a driver's license or a passport requires you actually being able to move around. She's not very mobile. She can't stand in line at the DMV to get an ID. They won't go to your house to give you an ID. I mean, they just won't. So she lives with an expired passport. She's not going anywhere anymore. She lives with an expired driver's license. You know, she's not driving anymore. And for her, one of the, one of the outs that she has or, or getting out of the house is going to vote. Well, she's not able to. You know, she, she can now vote. She has to vote mail ballot because her IDs do not allow her to vote in person. So if, if, the, if the purpose of the law is to prevent somebody with, you know, you can't get on a plane with your ID that's expired, you know, even as powerful as Mr. Our Chairman Hunter is, he couldn't get his, his uh, credentials here without a valid ID, and neither could I. But she can vote at home with an expired ID, but she can't in person. And so I, I just, again, is I don't disagree with Chairman Hunter on when you look at it and comparing apples to apples, but that's not what we're doing here. Well, I'm having a problem because I, just to let you all know, 
my photo ID is all screwed up. I've lost 60 pounds. <laughs> but, no, 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 don't, don't applaud because as a public official, you always get humbled. And so a cab driver asked the other day if I was Bernie Sanders. <laughs> so, the point is, I have to get a new photo ID. <laughs> I, I just, just to put it in a little perspective, the trial court found that there were 600,000 Texans who were eligible to vote, but who didn't have the right kind of ID. It doesn't mean they don't have an ID. They probably can show you a utility bill. Yeah. They might be able to show you a library card. They just might not have the right kind of ID. And so in Texas, they'll give you a free ID if you take, at your own expense, the time to go to the uh, DMV. And, or whatever you call it here, the Motor Vehicles Department, mm -hmm. you might have to go in Texas 100 miles if you're in a rural area to get one of those at your own expense. So it's not so easy. It's easy for us to say because all of us are here in a big city, most of us are going to have ID, but it's not true of everyone around the country. And just one story on the um, getting on the plane. Uh, a colleague of mine named uh, Justin Levitt, uh, who's now at the Department of Justice, when he was a law professor, he went to Congress to testify about the voter ID law, and he flew without his ID. You can fly without your ID. You go through a more intensive screening, they will let you fly. And it's also not the same level of a constitutional right to be able to vote compared to some of these other things. Brian, um, I, I want to add also, we're on, we're on the, the, the 40 acres, University of Texas, and, there's, and Texas is growing. Texas is a young population, and younger people are not always carrying a driver's license but they have um, an ID from their institution of higher learning saying, I am who I say I am. And we specifically said, no student IDs. So we're, we're going out of our way to make it harder to vote. Why can't we make it easier to vote? So if, if they, and the, the student ID issue is a, is, was a major uh, part of the case, it's a major concern. If they included that as an acceptable form of ID, would you have supported the, the law? I, I don't think so, because I'm also concerned about, I'm, as, as uh, my friends know, I'm also a ground game candidate, and I'm, I feel as though I'm in touch with the folks who helped to elect me or who voted for me. And there are um, a number of senior citizens out there who have very, um, they're, they're needy, they're dependent on other people, um, they're in a fragile situation. And why, why do we make someone who's um, at that point in their lives Prove who they say they are. They got a voter registration card. Um, let's so, let's. I don't I don't get that. So, so no, there, I, there's there, too many compartments yeah. for me to say yes to is that. Is there any version of a voter ID law that you would support? I don't think so. And Representative Ruiz? I mean, I, I, again, as I, I'm, I look at it this way, is it's not a it wasn't a problem. In other words, I I fail to see what. And, and granted, I wasn't here when the law was enacted, but I've been here while it's been going through the process. And I just failed to see the, the problem. And there's, there's been no instance in no. Texas of somebody and uh, we, we have, we have fraudulently more, voting in person. We, have we, more we legislated a problem. Yeah, we have more elected officials right now that are under indictment and waiting to stand trial for fraud <laughs> than we do for, for people that we've prosecuted for in-person voter fraud. And I, I mean, think about that. Yet. We didn't run out this last legislative session to create this whole section of law to deal with that. And we, and we shouldn't because, you know, God bless that person, that's their deal. But that's, that's not, our, that's not our, our bailiwick, if you will. And so I, again, is it wasn't broke before, so why do we fix it? That's. All right, so let's talk about the, uh, uh, at least briefly, the interim remedy that's been put in place while this voter ID law uh, has been um, uh, I guess not struck down, but uh, it's been softened. Softened by by the uh, by the Fifth Circuit. Like uh, the interim remedy like is uh, uh, is some some exceptions and some outreach. Two point five million dollars, I believe, uh, of outreach um, and, uh, and and efforts to make voting easier. What do you make of that, uh, Chairman Hunter? Do you think that's an appropriate um, uh, 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 an appropriate uh, investment that the state has made for that interim remedy? You know, it's, it's hard to see until we really go into session. I mean, because you've got the decision, but we need to start the session and see how the law is applied. But, uh, but for this election, for the election in November. Um, it's, it's, uh, I, ha I haven't read the uh, opinion from start to finish, so I have to plead a little ignorance because I don't want to give you a legal opinion on it. But 
I think you know what they're doing is trying to give you everything they can to try to uh, resolve the issue. But it's probably for the professor who should tell us exactly what his courts that he's loving so much that you can tell us. I, I do have concerns. I'm on the elections committee, um, and we had an opportunity to have the Secretary of State come before us um, this past week. And I asked a lot of questions about what are you doing to be in compliance with the order. And I can tell you I was not reassured. Um, I wasn't feeling you know, confidence. I wasn't feeling organization. And Lord knows with, with the 254 counties that we have, we are a big damn state. And there's a lot of county officials out there who need guidance and direction from our Secretary of State's office. And, I, and I'm not reassured that they're getting it. In fact, we called in the only time this elections committee has met since June the 1st was for two partial days this week. And the, on the agenda, this item was not on the agenda. So that tells you something. So I had to raise the questions at the end of the meeting of the Secretary of State's office. So we're, I am very concerned that we're very close to a, another historic presidential election and our, and our county officials are not getting the information that they need, much less the voters who, who might have read struck down and think, I got my voter registration card. That's how it was for generations. So I'm very concerned about the misunderstandings that are going on out there. So I'd say that uh, Texas started off on a good foot after the Fifth Circuit uh, decided that the law had to be softened because it quickly came up with a set of rules with the plaintiffs as to people who face a reasonable impediment to voting, what they could do instead, like showing a utility bill and a voter verification card. But then, in practice, Texas did not do the education that it promised to do. Its official materials said you must have an ID to vote and didn't explain what the exception was. It was so bad that just, I think, two days ago, the district court judge had to issue another order, which not only said, Texas, you better do what I said about educating people, but now every time you write something about this ID and how it's going to be implemented, you need to show it to the plaintiffs in the Department of Justice first and get their preclearance, kind of like back to preclearance. Uh, before you can put it out there because I don't trust you. So that shows how it's been implemented. And in fact, we had, I think it was Houston's mayor, saying that anybody who votes one of these reasonable impediment uh, affidavits is going to be investigated for possible fraud. That doesn't sound like the kind of compromise that Texas had promised for the election. County clerk? Oh, excuse me. I don't know my Texas politics. I apologize. Big difference. Don't bring Turner into this. <laughs> All right, so let's, uh, let's take a step back for a second. Um, you know, this uh, panel is entitled Voting Rights and Voting Wrongs. And uh, Texas is not known for having a lot of uh, voter people voting. Uh, we ranked 48th in the country uh, in, uh, in voting uh, turnout on the last presidential election. Uh, fewer than half of uh, voter, uh, uh, voting AIDS population voted. Uh, as noted in a recent column by uh, Ross Ramsey, that's less than the rate in Latvia. Um, and so in terms of voter turnout, our Secretary of State, Carlos Cascos, has called uh, this embarrassing. Um, Chairman Hunter, are you, are you embarrassed about the voter turnout in the state of Texas? I'm not embarrassed about anything in Texas. <laughs> now, let's talk about voting. Can we do better? We absolutely can. We are in a software society now. Everybody's on iPhones. Everybody's on iPads. Everybody is very transient. But we should do what we can to educate folks. One of the issues I've seen is that certain areas of the state vote high, and then there are other areas that don't. We gotta do something though to let people know their vote counts. And so can we do better? Yes. Should we do better? Yes. And I think anything we can to build education, the voting process, we've got to do it. So education, that's, that's what you think is the... You know, the from my background, I think it is. I, I talk to people, I've got three kids, and now I have my first grandchild. and talking to my kids and their friends, and I'm taking that generation, not mine. I hear, does the vote count? 
And we have to, we as public officials, it doesn't matter what party you're in, need to make sure people know your vote counts. Whether the win or the lose, it counts. So I think it starts with us, people on this panel, to get the word out that voting does matter and it is important for all age groups. But yes, I'm a big proponent of education and the voting process. It, it, does, it, does hear to, it, it does hurt to hear people say that. I've heard that at the door um, from individuals. Again, lots of new people in Texas, um, individuals who have a picture of Texas that isn't true. They think, well, my vote doesn't matter. They are, they are uh, we could talk about redistricting because in the, in the age of, uh, that we're in in redistricting, People do think my vote doesn't matter because I'm in an either strongly Democratic area or a strongly Republican area. And um, it's, it's sad to think that people don't feel as though their vote, their vote matters. And I think if we could ultimately change our redistricting process um, so there was more accountability between the elected official and the electorate and a more engaged electorate, publicly funded campaigns as well would be helpful. There's an, any number of tools. Um, so. I don't know that I have the, I, and, and you gotta have an inspirational person on the ballot I, who cares about, about getting out the vote. Well, and let's talk about something that we all can, and you probably said, this is something I hear talking to folks across, and, and it kind of jumps from what you're saying. Today, when you run against somebody, it's not about issues anymore. It's not about what you stand for. It's about how can I get you put in jail? And if all we do for the next hour is say negative, 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 you're not going to want to come back in this room. We've got to make the voting process meaningful. We've got to make the voting process about issues. And we can't keep making everything so negative so people push back from voting. That seems to be the way we campaign these days because it suppresses the vote a lot of times when you're negative. And so, it's something I've been hearing just like you have, Representative, talking around, and that's not only the education, but explaining and getting people to understand it's important to vote. It's important Representative Voice, is, is negative campaigning to blame? Uh, yeah, I mean, I agree with Chairman Hunter on that. I also, I mean, I, I know this to be true. There's segments, even within different or same counties, for instance, in Harris County, you'll have precincts where people drive by the polls every Tuesday to make sure they don't miss an election. I mean, like, we got something going on. I, like, I, see a lot of people, I see a lot of people at the elementary school. Maybe there's a vote going on. Let me get out. And then we got communities within the same county where that's not happening. And I think it has to do with a lot with what Chairman Hunter's talking about is we run these campaigns based on fear. We're about to witness an election on, and I'm going to use the word in quotes, on whether the charisma of candidates is enough to carry people to the ballots for and against. And I really believe this to be true, and I laid it on myself as an elected official and a candidate when I am a candidate, is it's my responsibility to get you fired up to vote. Either fired up to vote for me or against me. <laughs> and, I, and I tell people this is, I don't, and I told some of my colleagues when we had this debate about voter ID is, what are you worried about if more people vote? If, if, if things are good and you're right, the voters will bear you out and I'll go home. If more people vote and I'm not the state representative, you know what? I get to go home. It's great. And if, and if I get elected, great. But my point is, I, it's hard to be satisfied, and I, and I sense Chairman Hunter's frustration, and not so much his embarrassment, because I agree with him. He's not embarrassed about Texas, as nobody is. But I sense his frustration in that it's hard to judge and gauge what's going on at this level of participation. And it's frustrating to think that Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm the state representative, or I'm the county clerk, or I'm the mayor, but you know what? We had 27% of the eligible voters vote in the election. What does that say about me as a candidate? What does that say about the issues and the positions that I want to put forward? And what does it say about the rest of us in general, whether we care or not? I remember I spoke to a community college class, 27 kids in that class. They had just had an election, uh, a municipal election. Seven kids in that class had voted, and they were all registered to vote. And I remember I left him with this, and I, I, I literally got after him. I said, I know you're going to go vote now. You're going to go vote against me next time you see me on the ballot because you don't like what I told you. But point being is I, I see that as my responsibility as elected official, to kind of be a barker about the issues. Hey, this is what they are. And either fire you up because you're interested in the way I look at them or you're not. But either way, you're going to be there. 
And that's what I want, for y'all to be there. Yeah, Professor, so we're starting to run out of time. Um, but uh, why, so you, you have a national perspective. Why does, Tex, why does Texas have a lower voting rate than other states, and, and what can we do about it? Well, I mean, I come from California, which has a low voting rate, too. It's a safe blue state, just like this is a safe red state. And people look at the top of the ticket, and even though there are some competitive races, there aren't enough. Um, I kind of disagree with what everyone has said about negative campaigning. There's good social science literature says that gets people out. How many people are going to vote in the presidential election because they hate Hillary Clinton or hate Donald Trump, rather than because they like a particular candidate running we'll for see. president? I think the biggest impediment to people voting overall, not just in Texas but everywhere, is lack of registration. And lack of registration is especially high among young people and among people who've moved and among poor and minority voters. And so the first thing that should be on the agenda is online voter registration in Texas. Amen. It, it is one of the... It's one of the it's one of the few issues... I didn't set him up to say that. It, it's, it's one of the few issues where there's been bipartisan support in other parts of the country, in, in Ohio, in Florida. Red states, red legislatures, they passed it because everyone should be able to go online. So you move from Elm Street to Main Street, you should be able to go online, make that change, and get a card in the mail, get some kind of validation. It's a, it's a, it's a no, no uh, it, it shouldn't be controversial, and it's a way to make sure that people who have been eligible to vote before can continue to be eligible to vote. So, Chairman Hunter, um, math is not my strong suit, but uh, it's my understanding that Soya, uh, a representative of Israel, is, uh, Bill had 76 co-sponsors, which out of 150 uh, people in the uh, House is more than half. Um, uh, you uh, have a, a spot on the committee that controls legislation that comes to the floor. Why not have a vote on that? He's not on the Elections Committee. Yeah, not on the Elections Committee. He didn't come out of committee? Didn't come out of committee, no. Well, why does that, why does that... What he's really asking... <laughs> what he's really asking is, let me help him. Hypothetically, if the bill came to me... Because the House rules that we adopt goes from committee to committee. Whether you have whatever the number, it's up to the committee chair on the committee. So of what I guess, I guess what I'm really is. asking, though, is you were not one of the co-sponsors of the bill. Um, and, and, and I don't, gen and, and let's just tell people, I don't generally, in my position, I generally try not to author a lot. And uh, because I'm trying to let the other members carry it rather than me be on every bill. Do you support the bill? I don't know, uh, remember enough about it, but I'll, uh, I'll listen to her. I know we've just started in Nueces County where they're combining. Now I can go to any precinct and vote uh, in any place in, in my area. But I have to learn more from representative on it. It's, it's not it. a dodge. I just don't know it. <laughs> <laughs> are, you, are you expecting to bring that bill up again? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. We have, um, I'm, I'm, I recognize that um, I just finished my first legislative session, and I recognize that people are watching, and they have high expectations of Texas. And while we were meeting last session, um, <coughs> Oklahoma passed online voter registration. The first state to pass this was Arizona. Now over 30 states have passed it. Since we left, um, Georgia and Florida have passed it. And in Travis County, we spend about $100,000 on temps to take our cards and say, is that Gonzalez with an S or Gonzalez with a Z? I don't know. What do you think? I think it's Gonzalez with an S. Put down Gonzalez with an S. In, in this, age, this day and age, it's, it's crazy to me that we're not doing something to help our county officials who are burdened with um, putting a, putting a good uh, voter roll together and conducting a free and fair election. Okay. So yes, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be working on it again. And I will add that um, we had, it was House Bill 76, I had 76 co-authors and um, key leaders um, like Zerwas and Otto and Cook, um, many others got tired of seeing me, but they were all very supportive and very friendly. As was, as was our good chairman here. So I'm, I'm confident that we'll, that we'll push it again and uh, we'll have even more supporters. I just realized I was going to get a late hearing last session, and I, just as a, a 
point of pride, just stopped at 76 and said, well, fine then. And we had a, we had a very late hearing. But um, yeah, we're, it's, it's, it's something that needs to be done, and we'll do it again. All right, let's talk about redistricting. Um, and and uh, speaking of. Before uh, drinks? <laughs> <laughs> speaking of uh, court hearings that go on for a long time, this one uh, has been uh, tied up in the courts, uh, I guess, for longer than I've been live, I think. But um, should, is it time, you know, uh, a lot of states have a nonpartisan uh, uh, commission that draws uh, districts, and they, they seem to have less of these court battles. Um, Representative Rose, is, do you think that is the direction that, that Texas should move in? No. no. I mean, I, I, I don't, I think um, the lines need to be drawn where they're drawn right now in the legislature, but we just need to be realistic, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, about what we're going to do. Not only that, I think we're really bad at following directions and instructions from the court when they're given <laughs> to us. Um, I, you know, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with the process. I think that we're just somewhat stubborn, and I'm, you know, I'm including myself in the stubbornness in terms of <clears throat> what needs to be accomplished. You know, it would it'd be great to be, and I don't even see how if you have a quote-unquote nonpartisan commission that draws it, that it's not drawn in some way that one group or another is going to uh, not be happy. I mean, I just think the realities of it are is that, you know, Tom DeLay, when was it, you know, almost 20 years now, uh, you know, put this plan together and got the right people in the right places to do this, and this is the result, and we're living under it. And I, I don't, I'm not one of those that particularly complains about it because this is how we did it. But I'm, I don't complain about that. I just work, on, I work forward about how are we going to fix it, how are we interpreting what's coming back from the courts, and, and whether or not we can convince some of our colleagues that, you know, not, don't have a D at the other end of their, at the end of their name, on what's, uh, what's fair and what's realistic. And I'm not saying that some of them are unfair. I just think a lot of it's driven by what happened 20 years ago. And I think as we move forward, maybe we get away from that. But I don't believe that a nonpartisan commission could do any better on this. Uh, that's my thought. You disagree? Representative? I, 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 I do. I disagree in the sense that I think we haven't even been allowed to talk about it. Like, what would be a good system? What could we do that would work? Um, and it hasn't even been aired out that Bill hasn't had a hearing. And um, we, need to, we need to talk about good practices. What, what are some states that are doing some good, new, and creative things? Maybe Texas could do something creative and progressive and forward thinking when it comes to getting out the vote. No, but then I, then I wouldn't get to draw my least favorite legislator's district out when it comes oh, to the district. Get the nine. No, I, mean, I, I, get, I mean, I, it's, not, it's not necessarily that. I just think that the ball's in the court that it needs to be in. It's just, we need to do something. And we, you know, we punted on a lot of different issues. And I was in a hearing last week that has nothing to do with this, but it's not an issue that we punted on regarding water. And, you know, it's not particularly nice to sit in a hearing and your constituents are saying, hey, you know, you need to do something about this. And they're not wrong. And I think this is another one of those things that, you know, we really need to fix ourselves. And I, I think, it, you know, again, and maybe I'm being naive because I've only been here five minutes in the legislature, but I think it's just something that, we do need to fix, and we need to work on ourselves. And I think it's a great exercise. And if you want to get to one point where it can be bipartisan, and you'd be surprised, especially in some of these urban districts, the way the representatives work together, and I know Chairman Hunter's had more experience with this because he's been there a lot longer. But, but, just, but just call me Bernie. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so, but, I mean, you, you'd, you'd be surprised at the strange bedfellows that redistricting make among representatives that are from different parties just because of the different interests especially in the urban districts but even in the rural districts like mine there's just there's there's a subtlety there that's missed beyond what we see in the newspapers and in the court cases but again would I like to see the maps redrawn of course are they going to get redrawn I don't know. <laughs> yeah I, I think first of all Texas is very unlikely to adopt nonpartisan when California did it, it was after what we called a sweetheart bipartisan gerrymander, where the Democrats and Republicans got together and colluded and made all their safe districts, and we passed it through a voter initiative. Right? So that's not available everywhere, but that is the way that these things happen. In Florida, they passed an initiative that um, required, let the legislature still draw the lines, but said they had to draw them fairly and defined fairly so that there'd be some competition. So there are, there are other ways to go. The main problem in Texas, uh, as it is in many southern states, is that 
when you have a Republican legislature drawing lines that favor the Republican Party, which, and, and I should say, when Democrats draw lines, they favor the Democratic Party. This is not, the problem for Republicans, though, is that um, many, most Democrats, or many Democrats in southern states tend to be African-American or Latino. And so the question then becomes, is drawing lines to favor Republicans a violation of the Voting Rights Act? Because it's discriminating against racial minorities. And the courts have had this impossible task of trying, and it comes up in the voter ID cases too, but more in redistricting, in trying to disentangle the race from the politics. And it's really, it's impossible to disentangle it. But yet the courts try to disentangle it, and that's why in the case you're referring to involving Texas's redistricting, the last hearing was in September of 2014. We're waiting two years for an opinion, which no doubt will include a very strong dissent from someone. And that's going then to the Supreme Court. And with a 4-4 Supreme Court again, whatever the two judges in the majority decide on this case, that's probably what's going to govern Texas until this all starts again in four more years. Okay, so we're going to open it up in a, uh, for questions in just a minute. Let me ask one uh, quick question first. Uh, <laughs> the FBI says that it is um, uh, taking the threat of a cyber attack very, very seriously that could impact uh, the election. Some, a hacker coming in and changing the voting rolls or, or uh, changing the uh, election. Is that something that anybody on this uh, panel is, is worried about at this point? Well, I mean, it's a real issue. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean it's just elections. It, it's across the board. One of the things the legislature is doing right now is looking at state agency and gathering information, your personal information. So cybersecurity is a big issue, and it's got to be taken seriously. Okay. So I think there's a microphone that's going to, because we're recording, so uh, wait for the microphone to come around. Thank you. I just had a quick question for the professor. Um, as you know, in the Shelby County decision, um, the jurisdictional requirements for Section 5 were struck down. So I had a question. If the legislature were to enact a new voter ID requirement after the Fifth Circuit had you know, found that it had a discriminatory impact, perhaps even after a, a finding of intentional discrimination, do you think that would um, be uh, relevant for purposes of Texas being put back under preclearance provisions? whether through a bail-in or through a congressional fix, and what do you think the implications of implementing a new voter ID law would be on that? Yeah, so just for people who don't, that, that was a lot of technical language. So just for people who, who don't follow, so since the 1970s in Texas, every time Texas has uh, had, uh, until 2013, every time Texas made a change in any voting rule, whether it was as small as moving a polling place across the street or as big as redistricting, Texas had to get approval from the Department of Justice in Washington, D.C., or from a three-judge court, and had to show that the change would not make protected minority voters worse off. That's this preclearance provision that the Supreme Court got rid of in its Shelby County decision. Five to four decision, ideological split on the Supreme Court. So uh, since then, the De U.S. Department of Justice has come into the Texas voter ID case and the North Carolina voting case and has asked, upon a finding of intentional racial discrimination, which the court did find in North Carolina and hasn't yet decided on in Texas, under Section 3 of the Voting Rights Act to put Texas back under provision. And plaintiffs have already asked for that. And what Texas has been doing in dragging its feet on the education here and potentially putting in a new voter ID bill that uh, Mr. Patrick said is, is on its way. I think especially this judge, who, uh, the federal district judge, who showed a lot of hostility to Texas in the voter ID case, she could well decide to put Texas back under some preclearance, which then would go to the, but then that, that would then go to the Fifth Circuit in a very conservative court. And I'm not at all so sure that even the judges that were willing to do this little softening of the voter ID law would go along with that. So it's very uncertain. So one of the, the big takeaways from the uh, Supreme Court overturning uh, Texas's HB2, the trap laws uh, for abortion clinics, was that legislatures just can't make up stuff as their <laughs> justification. And um, so, so given that, you know, that voter, uh, in-person voter fraud is non-existent and that of the 600,000 people who will not be able to vote now, the large majority of them just happen to be of demographics that tend to vote for Democrats, my question to the legislature, who apparently is going to bring this up again, are you, are you worried 
now that the Supreme Court has said that you just can't make up and lie about your justification for legislation. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not real sure. What's your bottom line question? So there's no, there's no I mean, such I, thing I as in-person voter about, fraud. I know that we're probably on opposite sides, but what's the gut question? Is it going to come up again? I mean, yeah. are, are you worried that, are you worried that this, the since answer. the Supreme Court already overturned it, that you're worried that the law is just going to be a waste of time and money because the Supreme Court's going to come down and say the law is obviously discriminatory? Okay. From the legislative process, whether a court acts, the executive branch acts, the legislature doesn't worry. What the legislature does will have to handle the issues that are raised. So am I worried? The answer is no. Will the issues be raised, which apparently was said sometime today, yes, it's coming in. The complicating, and I keep, I want you to understand we're only 140 days. Can we act within that 140 days? What concerns me is if we don't, on your side or the other side, then does it go back to the courts again? Or is that special session topics? So I'm not worried because I've been here so long as Pancho has recognized me for the video. But just because judicial acts, then we have to take up our issues. And then if they act again, they act again. Now, everybody may have different views. My view, it's just another process. And here we go again. We have the same thing with the executive branch. Uh, David Albert, Professor of Government. I want to first. I want to thank uh, Representative Israel for her introducing the voter ID, uh, the uh, the online voter registration bill, which is uh, you know if passed would be a great improvement. And uh, I wanted to ask about another potential reform that maybe she or, or one of the other representatives would be interested in, and get the professor's opinion on mail-in voting that has been so successful in uh, Colorado, Washington, and Oregon in terms of. Re and produces much higher voter turnout. Would, would that be a good, a good change for Texas? And uh, do you think that would be a way to advance democracy and participation in Texas? Well, I got a question for you. What, yeah. do, you, what do you mean mail-in voting? All, all everybody mail voting. mails it in. Oh. Every, everybody gets a ballot in the mail, uh, like an absentee ballot, and gets to fill it out at their kitchen table and mail, mail it in without voting stations. You mean I don't get to walk to the polls and wave to people? And Wait, for an hour and a half, yeah. Okay. Well, David, I went to uh, Washington, state of Washington, and they have um, only mail it in. You can, they have boxes, some areas, where, like secure boxes where you can drop your ballot in. Um, but I think turnout has gone up nominally, um, but I don't know that it's gone up enough to recalibrate the way that we do elections completely. I mean, I'd be open to hearing more, but you know, I've gotten a lot of emails, for example, to see people say, I want same-day registration. I want automatic voter registration. And, you know, here I am, you've heard my story about just trying to get online, online voter registration. Um, so us to go to completely overhaul our system and go to that, uh, it'd be difficult. You, there's a lot of cost savings involved. A lot less expensive. Um, it is, um, you know, more, you can automate it uh, as well, but I don't, you know, precinct, you know all the those sweet little election judges that we all love, um, we but no them? longer have an assignment. Um, so it's, it's a lot of wholesale change, and I just don't see Texas um, being ready to do that at this time. But, you know, you brought up a point, and you have too, and I'm going to go back to your, we need to have an airing out. You know, all of you have talked about the technology. You've talked about online. You're talking about mail. I don't care what party we're in. With the technology going the way it is, and we're talking about increasing vote, all of this should be discussed out front. And we need to see what works and doesn't. So I would encourage that we do have more openness on these alternatives. I would uh, be very cautious about all-male voting in Texas for two reasons. First, Texas does have a problem of absentee ballot fraud. That is, unlike impersonation fraud, the sale of ballots, that's a real problem. Yeah. And not in all of the state, but in parts of the state. In Washington uh, and Oregon, don't have that don't have that history. So I think there would have to be much better safeguards in place. Not people impersonating, but people being paid for their ballots. And the, and the second thing is, if you look at the statistics on Washington state, turnout went up for a bit and then it leveled off. 
but turnout is now much more white and affluent than it was before. So it, it turns out that it, 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 doesn't, it, 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 it doesn't increase the overall turnout, but it skews the electorate in a way that I don't know is a, is a good idea. Plus, you lose the civic value and civic nature of going to the polls on election day, and I think that maybe changes the nature of the vote when it's a private act that people do in their own home. How much does a ballot go for if, you, if somebody wanted to sell it? <laughs> 20 bucks, 10 bucks. Not, not as much as a kidney. <laughs> Howdy, my name is Spencer Davis and I'm a student at Texas A&M University where we have a very pronounced voting problem because we have a young population that has just recently moved and who isn't very familiar with mailing things. Uh, so for example, in 2013, <laughs> Uh, we elected a mayor and two city council members. Uh, and in that election, Precinct 20, which in Brazos County is the entirety of the campus, has about 15,000 uh, people that live there. Nine people voted on election day. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so last year I started our first voter registration organization for our student government. Uh, in the last two weeks, we have passed out 3,500 mail-in registration forms and registered about 750 by hand. Our biggest problem right now, and I know UT has a problem with this too because we were talking to them earlier, uh, is we can't actually get enough mail and registration forms from the county. Yeah. Uh, so to Representative Israel, I know we were, we've, been we've been talking about this a few times. Lord. Uh, but as far as cost-saving considerations of online registration, uh, and you're going to re reintroduce this in the next session, yeah. realistically, what are the chances that it passes in this session, and what kind of... Um, opposition do you expect? Well, you're going to have significant, you're going to have a different um, situation. You're going to have um, a sophomore Celia, not a freshman Celia. Uh, so I'm, I'm, um, I'm, and so I'm going to be even more on it. Um, but you're also going to have a different configuration on the elections committee. We might have a different chair on the elections committee. And um, my colleagues are going to be even more attuned to the fact that, oh, yeah, that's Celia. Here she comes talking to me about online voter registration again. And um, so, um, and I think we'll have even more resources to say, to engage. You know, we worked very closely with the League of Women Voters and all of the, uh, and all of the county clerks. Um, so all of that is primed. So now I think we can, we can hit it again with student groups and organizations who feel strongly about this. And, um, but I'll tell you, I'll give you an example of the opposition. Um, I brought this up here as a, as a prop because on the floor of the House, as I was talking to one of my esteemed colleagues from the majority party, they said, well, Celia, if we, if we pass this thing, what's to stop you and Austin from going to one of your you know, fancy music festivals, grabbing an iPad, just going up and down the line, getting everybody registered to vote? And I said, absolutely nothing. That's the point. So, um, so there's a there's a there's a mindset there, but but I, again, I had 76 co-authors. I have I feel strongly that we'll get even more this time around. And um, you know, as far as on the Senate side, we it's it's going to be a full court press to make a case for good county government saving money, the hundred thousand dollars that I mentioned in Travis County alone. So over time, it saves a lot of money and it makes a lot of sense and it's more secure. Online voter registration is more secure than paper ballots. There's more data that I have to match up, my social security number, my driver's license number. So you know, we'll, we'll just work it hard, and um, I, I'm not going to give up. When you say majority party, is that the anti-fancy music party? <laughs> no, because oh, you've seen them there. They go. <laughs> I've seen y'all. Hi there. My question is for Representative Hunter. You claim to be a sort of, you know, big proponent of voting rights, and yet you can still say whether it be out of ignorance, whether I don't know why, you still say, ah, oh, you can just take your ID to get on a plane. You take your ID. Not everyone can do that. I am a VDR here in Travis County, and recently this past spring, I had the pleasure of registering this wonderful lady to vote and she was homeless. She didn't know much about herself. She didn't know where to get a birth certificate. She didn't know anything. What are your plans to help educate those who have 
no clue where to start, but they're being disenfranchised. They're not being treated like Americans. It, it was a disgrace. She had no idea how to vote. It was very sad. What's your plan on um, educating and registering those in the homeless population, those who have no idea about um, voting? Well, all I can tell you is, is that you've, you've raised a very good point, and it's another segment that we need to air out and get the message out. You know, I'm the most unique one on the panel because if you look at me and take San Antonio and Victoria South, there's only two Republicans, and I'm one of those. And we're in a coastal, more rural zone. And we have a lot of area to cover, like your zone. The, to me, I applaud the folks in here, whether we agree or not. You're here. I wish this room was standing room only, though. And so I guess the only thing I can tell you specifically is you have people like me that will reach out because of our history, because of seeing things similar to you. And all I can do is I can't give you a promise for the whole legislature, but I can sure say that Todd Hunter will try to do what he can to do what's right on educating everybody. Do you have any solid plan? Yeah, I think we got it. I, no, no, the answer is, do, does Todd Hunter have a solid plan today? The answer is not. But now that you have triggered it for me, which is the great thing about a forum. And by the way, this is the very first time I've ever been included. And so I, I may be old, Poncho, but I'm new to this. But the, <laughs> But the bottom line is I thank you because you planted a seed with me, and that's the good thing here. So I'm going to try, and would you do this? Not many politicians will tell you this. When the session starts, contact me in the office, and I uh, reach out to you to come in, and let's see if there's some things that I can help. I'm also a VDR in Bear County, and I have registered hundreds and hundreds of new voters over the last four years. Uh, I register voters who are applying for public assistance who have the same problem the young lady was talking about. And I register voters at community colleges, uh, universities, and many, many students. So I hear it doesn't matter day after day. And what I hear from some people is that, why should I register? Because I can't vote. What it takes to register in Texas is a valid address, and the election department verifies that. That's all you have to put on that form is a valid address, and that should be all people have to, have to verify. When I talk to the students, though, they say, I elect people, or if I vote, I would elect people who go to the legislature or the Congress, and they don't get anything done. They just bicker. They just fight with each other. They just take Positions. So we That's just have, a, we just have a couple minutes left. Do you have a question? Yeah. yeah. Uh, why do we disenfranchise these people? Why can't we let them vote? Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, I guess the, the answer to the question is, I don't think anybody up here, or I, I'd be surprised if anybody publicly, either there might be some, you know, nothing surprises me anymore sometimes, but I'd be surprised if anybody up here would be the idea that registering somebody to vote and the process of voting is wrong or bad. I think we obviously have some disagreements about, you know, how we get that done, but I guess to your question or statement about the bickering, I mean, I, you know, maybe I'm not objective because I'm in the legislature, but I think we get a lot of things done, considering. I think, do we get everything done that everybody asks us to do? Of course not, it's impossible. But, you know, I see a lot of good men and women uh, under a lot of, duress sometimes and a lot of pressure on both sides of the aisle trying to get things done. And you know, there's always those four or five issues that are very, very hot. And they make you stand on one side of the aisle or the other. Uh, for ideological purposes, philosophical purposes, whatever it is. But uh, I, I would, and I tell, uh, you know, voters like that or, or constituents of mine that tell me the same thing, you know, what are you doing now? I just sort of, you can't do this, you can't do that. Well, no, I can't, but I, but I did this. 
and I'll try and work on it. And I, I, do, I, th I do think, even in Washington, even though in campaigns it's very popular to say they don't do anything and they're always fighting, I think they're doing their best too, their level best. And uh, I, you know, people may disagree with that, but I think being on this side of it now, I can see that we're not going to get everything done, we're not going to agree on everything, but I, you know, at least from my point, I'm going to try as hard as I can to do it. And, and I, I tell you, on this issue regarding voting rights and the voting, especially with this law of voting IDs, I already start from this premise is we didn't need it. And the fact that we spent all this time and money, political capital on it, it is disappointing to me. But again, that's, that's, we're going to go back to the legislature. And, and as Chairman Hunter said, there's, there's going to be a process. And hopefully cooler heads will prevail and we, we can throw this thing in the trash can where it belongs and we'll go forward. All right, so I, I just want to take one more question and then we can all go to the bar. So. It's, a, it's a short question. Uh, it's for Professor Hassan. So what should we be worried about with this coming November? What worries you as an election law expert? What should we worry about waking up on November 9th or November 10th and thinking, uh-oh, the piping of our election system this went awry? So, so not, in, not, not Texas, just generally? Nationwide. Uh, a close election. Mm. You don't want a close election in a state where the electoral college votes matter for the outcome, especially with statements that Donald Trump has made about uh, Democrats in urban areas of Pennsylvania potentially stealing the election. I'm actually worried about violence in the streets if we have a very close election and it comes down to a particular state. I think we're at a very volatile stage in our democracy right now. And so I just, I'll just tell you what the election administrator's prayer is, which is, Lord, let this election not be close. All right, violence in the streets. Good way to close it. Thank you very much.